hello and welcome to the inaugural episode, the first interview of the Barbell Strikes Back podcast. I'm your host, James McDermott, and with me today is an amazing person. Uh, we all know the, the, the Dos Equis guy, the world's most, most amazing and interesting man. Well, Kim Sievers is the world's most interesting and amazing lady. And uh, just a, a little background on Kim here. She's laughing right now as I go through this. Uh, Kim is an incredible athlete and a world-class coach. And we're going to be talking all about that type of thing. Uh, Kim competed at the 2014 Winter Paralympic Games. She also has won a couple World Cups, multiple national championships, American World Cups in skiing and possibly other winter sports. She'll elaborate on that soon. And Kim is also an incredible weightlifter. She is a master's world champion. <laughs> She's a national master's champion, an American, national, ma na na American master's champion. She holds American records in weightlifting. And we're gonna talk all about her training, her sports history. Kim, I'm so excited. How are you doing? I'm doing well, James. Thanks. Kim, you've had an amazing career in sports and coaching. The first thing I want to talk about is how did it all start? So if you want to talk a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into sports, and if you want to elaborate on anything that I mentioned, maybe if I got something wrong, let's go for it. Uh, how did I start? I started... I don't know. I just always liked sports when I was young. Um, and I may be dating, I am totally dating myself. But when I was in high school in eighth and ninth grade, those were kind of the first years that um, the high schools in my area, which was around Erie, Pennsylvania, actually had girls athletic teams. So during my high school career, um, I was on the first basketball team that my high school had. I was on the first softball team that my high school had. I was on the first, um, you know, track team. Uh, so um, I just, I just liked it. And I, I knew, you know, a lot of kids when they're applying to colleges, they apply to 49 colleges and they don't know what their major is going to be. And, and uh, I knew right from the get go that I wanted to be a phys ed major. And that was what I wanted to do with my life. So uh, that was what I did. I went to Slippery Rock University, which is right outside uh, Pittsburgh, and did a undergrad degree in health, physical education, recreation, and dance. Believe it or not, hey, <laughs> it, was, it was hooked I on. Kim, I didn't know. I didn't know you had some dance moves hidden. I, I have none. I barely got through those classes. <laughs> um, and then I went right straight into a master of science degree at Penn State, um, also in physical education with my emphasis there was on performance assessment because that was what had interested me the most in undergrad. Um, and that kind of, that set the stage for everything pretty much that I've done since then. So uh, when you were getting into to sports and joining those teams, was this pre-Title IX or just as Title IX was being instated? No, but it was pre-Title IX. Pre-Title IX. Can you, yeah. can you explain what Title IX is for anyone who doesn't know? Um, Title IX was legislation that uh, was enacted to 
um, be sure that girls and women were being give, given equal opportunity to participate in sports. Um, and you most, I, don't, I guess the stories that you heard at the time or read because back then we didn't have computers, um, were concerned colleges and universities because they had to had to kind of they had to totally uh change the balance of their athletic programs so that they were um actually providing opportunities for women that were equal to what they were already offering most likely most likely had been offering for quite a long time to the to the men um so uh, you know right in the beginning of title nine the unfortunate outcome of it in some cases was that a men's sport was cut to bring the numbers in line. Um, but that was a long time ago. And they've, you know, since they've, they've, uh, the women's programs have, have pulled up to be the same. Um, they've, they've figured, figured it out. And, but it's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. You know, most people probably don't even know what that is. It's not, as far as I know, spoken about a lot, but a lot of good came from it. So it's good that opportunities are there, amazing athletes that have been found and careers started and, and mm -hmm. people just uh, benefiting overall. So you're, you went to Penn State and you got your degree in performance, what was it again? It was in the, on my paper it says physical education, but my, my major area was performance assessment. And so what, do you, what do you do with that? Um, it's, it's mostly, I mean, it's not even mostly, it is being able to look at someone doing a movement or, you know, participating in a sport event or whatever, and being able to look at them and say, you know, that's efficient. That's not efficient. This is what you could, it's, it's, it's good coaching, essentially, you know, being able to look at a movement and say, okay, this is how, this is what we're going to do to make this better. Um, so it was, it was a lot of biomechanics and kinesiology and movement education, things like that. Probably some the, anatomy in there as well. Tons of anatomy and exercise. <laughs> and you, you yeah. taught anatomy for quite some time as well, right? I did. I taught anatomy and exercise physiology. Yeah. And all of that definitely helped as you started to get into more coaching coaching skiing, and then eventually in the Paralympics uh, uh, venue. Uh, can you kind of talk about your ski career and coaching? Um, I was always, the, the, the one good thing about my doing my master's degree, it was a master of science. So it was research oriented. And the, all the time I was pursuing my degree, I was working as a, a TA in the phys ed department. So the kids at Penn State have to, every one of them has to take three credits of phys ed during their time at Penn State, which I think is amazing. Um, but so I was teaching these college courses and then doing this research. And the, the main thing that came out of my master's was that I hated research and I love teaching. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, uh, that was what I did. And um, part of, Part of my life then, I had I had become a ski teacher. I'd, I'd been skiing since I was little. I don't even three or four or five years old. 
Um, and my family got me a ski instructor tryout course at a ski area near our near where we lived um, when I was 16. So I started teaching skiing a million and a half years ago and uh, just always kept at it. When I moved to Penn State, there was a ski area right outside State College. So I started teaching there and um, became very interested in what the Professional Ski Instructors of America, what that organization, organization does for um, ski teachers is they, they provide education, tons of education events, and then they also provide the certification exams for ski instructors to kind of move through the ranks, similar to what they do with CrossFit or, you know, any athletic organization. Um, and I pretty much set my sights on, I wanted to be an examiner, which are the people who give the certification exams and hold the, you know, lead the education events and stuff, because I wanted to be on the teaching side of it. So I kind of put my head down and pursued that for quite a while. Uh, teaching's, teaching's a lot of fun. I think we both share uh, a common love for teaching and leading a class like that, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, I i don't know if I ever told you this, but I've only ever been skiing once in my life. And uh, it, it didn't work out very well, as you can, as I did not I, return. Probably made a lot of mistakes, a lot of falling. Um, I tried snowboarding as well. And that, you know, I, I flipped on the hill so hard that my glasses went flying all the way yeah. down to the bottom and I had to go find them. So uh, what are some... Did you have instruction for those, James? Or did you uh, go with a friend or just do uh, it on your... Both, both. So I took, I took the like course, like the, like the half hour, you know, uh, intro course that you could take at the slopes uh, on the yeah. bunny hills. I think it's called the bunny hills. And then, uh, and then my friend who I went with taught me the rest of the ropes, which that's your first mistake. Yeah, that's that that's probably what it was. You know, uh, I didn't know how to stop. So my way of stopping was just to violently throw myself to the ground. Because uh, mm -hmm. I didn't know how to cross the skis. I think you got to bring them in together, right? Uh, no, no. All right. See, so yeah, see, I that's, that's the <laughs> advice I would give someone you got to cross. Not a good the skis. Way to stop. <laughs> that's probably why it didn't work. And I know another time I stopped, it was just crashing into another guy i'm like all right well i guess this yeah. is how we're both going to stop right now so uh what what are some pieces of advice you have to newbie skiers <laughs> take a lesson <laughs> yeah don't take a lesson listen, don't listen to your friends you know your friends your friends probably won't remember that that you know when you move off the beginner hill to something with a little more pitch they won't remember how frightening that is to a beginner and they'll think it's absolutely fine and they'll take you to the top of the chairlift and leave you without yeah. any skills to get down. I, I feel like there needs to be practice getting on and off of, of a chairlift because that yeah. was terrifying as well. Yes. Is, is there a way to practice that? Well, the, yeah, you can stand and, and watch people loading and, you know, the instructor will show you show you things that are, the, tell you about the things that are going to happen and what you're going to feel and, and, uh, okay. Yeah. So none of that, none of that happened. Yeah, none of that happened. No, yeah. it was just, I was just told you just stand in front of it. And when you feel that it's close, you sit down really, really quickly. 
but of course, you know, you, and then you watch other people doing it. And it's one of those things where you're like, all right, Oh, that looks easy. That looks, yep. I see people doing that. And then you almost fall off of it. Except then you get on and halfway up the hill, you realize you have to get off and nobody's told you how to do that. I yes. Yes. Uh, my way of getting off was just falling off or just diving yeah. off. And then you're, you're in the way of other people. And so the, yeah, the guy at the top of the hill is going to help you. Behind you. Yeah. So yeah. I, I won't make a scene at a local ski hill probably anytime soon. So I think no one has to watch out for me, but um, in, in your learning career and your coaching career and, and training uh, leading up to, you know, kind of being involved in skiing a little more, what was your experience with strength training? Uh, like where you were, did you guys have like regimens where you're going to the gym and working with barbells? Like what does the ski program look like? Um, when I started lifting, it wasn't ski focused. Um, because back then, <laughs> back then in the dark <laughs> ages, um, if you more, you just lifted to get strong. You know, it wasn't a, okay, here's a ski specific type of program. Here's a, um, you know, Olympic weightlifting type. Well, there was that for sure, but you know, this is a, a baseball type of program or whatever. Um, and when I think the first time I picked up a weight was in college, um, our softball coach, you know, made us, made us go to the, the training training room was kind of hooked to the, the weightlifting. Um, and we had a program, but I don't think it was, it wasn't really softball specific. Were you just like, were you doing squats, presses, deadlifts, or any snatches in there? No, no. Um, and it was, it was mostly other than like bench press and squats on a Smith machine. Um, it was mostly, that was, that was the time when um, universal gyms had just come out, the, the machinery. Oh, then like the Nautilus. Well, the Universal was pre-Nautilus, and then Nautilus came out, and so almost every program or every gym you went to, that they were really, really focused on using that kind of equipment and not, not doing as much with the bar and the dumbbells and things like that, unless you were a weightlifter. Um, so, yeah, the bar pretty much bench presses and squats, and then... Um, I think we actually, we did some dumbbell work for softball, but I didn't have a ski specific program until, until much later. So was it, was it not until you came to Albany CrossFit that you used the barbell for the first time? Pretty much. Wow. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. To use a barbell the way we use it in CrossFit. No, I'd never, I hadn't done that. What, what was, uh, what were your first experiences with, uh, with, with that, you know, like uh, you're learning deadlift squats, presses, but then also these more complicated movements of snatch and clean and jerk, uh, after training for years in other ways, now you have to, to move the way we need to move for a snatch. It's a little different. Well, it was, I loved it because, um, I never, I had never felt the type of strength that you develop you know, when you're, when you're lifting with a bar as opposed to just lifting, lifting on a machine. Um, 
and I loved it because you could, you could feel how much more work your entire body was doing, you know, as opposed to being on a triceps extension machine and just, you know, isolating that muscle. Um, so uh, yeah, I jumped in. That, that experience of dropping the barbell for the first time and hearing that yeah. sound, it's probably good too. No, funny, funny story because, um, what I, I found my way to Albany CrossFit. I don't even remember how. Um, <clears throat> and I went in kind of by myself just to look around and see what it was. And I was, I was down the hall looking over into, um, we had a women's, there was a women's program at the time, like once a week. And so I'm looking at all these women and they're just beasting out, you know, cleaning jerks and then throwing the bar down which just you know that in and of itself just wigged me out I was like oh my god what are they doing and then the other thing was if you don't understand that you know the the plates are different weights you know I'm looking at the the weight that's on these bars these these women are lifting and I, I thought it was it was like 500 pounds and I just I was like I, I might not belong here. <laughs> and then I, I think uh, I got talked into whatever on-ramp was at the time. And I think it was on-ramp um, and discovered that you could actually put 10 pound plates on and it looked really good, but it wasn't that much weight. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's something we always have to go over in the on-ramp is, Hey, these are all different weights. They're just the same height. So it, it it's, the same every single lift that you do because if it was yeah. just a little five metal pound plate or the 10 pound plate the barbell would sit so much lower yeah it's yeah. always a it, it used to be a big shock for people back in like like 2011 12 but now as crossfit has grown i think people are more used to it right right and that's when i joined i think i joined in 2012 so 2012 and then yeah, two years Two years later, we started up the Barbell Club. What, what drew you to weightlifting? And uh, like one to like, at the time, you know, we were just focusing and practicing on the lifts, but then eventually you, you decided, hey, I wanna, I wanna take this further. I wanna see what I can do in this sport. Um, I think you made me do that. <laughs> All right, that's possible. Joining, joining the Barbell Club, I, I, I know exactly why I did because I have a, a shoulder injury that I've had for quite a long time that I, I can't, you know, I don't have a ton of flexion, good flexion in there. And so my snatches were just terrible. And I could not overhead snatch, like just do a, you know, I could not do it, could not do it without my arm folding. And I used to just, I would just, if the wad had, had snatches in it i just i would leave the wad crying because i was so bad oh no and i couldn't figure out why you know i could clean and jerk respectable weights for my you know my age and and uh i could kind of keep up with with a lot of the younger women which you know was always how i measured myself by which i discovered later on wasn't always the smartest thing to do um so I joined the barbell club to improve my snatch. And you did. You did great. Did. Yes. Just, just now when you said that, that 
that I probably made you or, or, or told you to, to do it. Like I had like for a moment, like a, a momentary lapse of guilt when I just thought about all the people that I've made do that. And, uh, uh, so can you talk about that getting into competing? Um, I think you may have been looking at the women's record. I, I think number one, you, you must have discovered how old I was. And uh, you came in one day and you just said, you know, you, you might want to think about like competing because I think you could, you know, I was looking at the, the women's totals and stuff from the last national championships and I think you could do fairly well. And then you followed that up by telling me I had to wear a singlet so it probably yeah, the took singlet a conversation is always the hardest one. I know, yeah. I know we, we battled on that for quite some time. Cause originally I, I, I think you were like, okay, uh, that sounds good. All right. Records. All right. Competing sports, weightlifting, medals. and then medals. And then all of a sudden, what, what's that now? Singlet? Nope. Nope. I'm out. Well, the reason was probably different than a lot of the other women is that I had just spent literally 10 years wearing a speed suit for skiing and part of the reason that that I stopped that was just because nobody in the general public really needs to see a 55 year old woman in a speed suit and then you what? tell me okay if you want to do this you got to put it on again <laughs> well I, I probably told you too one everyone looks good in a singlet it's it's fact and two, it, it makes it makes you stronger too. You're gonna add kilos to your to your total wearing that singlet. And that's what we tell skiers. How, oh, is it? You're gonna take seconds off your race if you wear a speed suit. Is so is you, there as much pushback in ski on wearing the suits as there is in uh, weightlifting and wearing the singlet? Um. No, because a lot of skiers, a lot of skiers start racing when they're young, you know, and when they're little, it's like the parent comes in and says, here, you need to wear this. And they go, okay. And it's actually kind of a status symbol among like, you know, little junior racers and stuff. Oh, really? They've yeah. They've grown up wearing, uh, wearing a speed suit. So. See, that's how we need to look at it in weightlifting as a status symbol. Like, you come into train, you got your singlet on, you look badass. Everyone's, everyone's wondering what's going on over there. Yeah. Yeah. And build, build that confidence. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I'll, it, it probably won't go over well right now. Anyone from the barbell club who's listening to this, they're like, keep dreaming, James. Yeah. Which that, that is like my dream of having a barbell club session where everyone is wearing their singlet. You know, like, like so you could have singlet night, singlet, singlet Sundays, singlet Saturdays. Yeah, we'll do it. You know, we'll do it when when no one else is going to be at the gym on off hours. There you go. See, that would have been good. Could you kind of ease into it? Yeah. yeah when, we'll, you, when you told me I could wear a t-shirt underneath it, that was that was the green light. Yeah, I probably should have led with that. That like you, yeah. you can wear clothes under the singlet, you know. Yeah. But hey, hey, hey! I was rookie coach. I decided this is what you got to do. Let's let's go. I, sh I probably showed you videos of people wearing singlets. And a lot of professionals don't wear anything under their singlet. So you're probably like, ah, I'm out. But uh, can, you, can you talk about your first experience at a weightlifting meet? Was it, correct me if I'm wrong, was it the Liberty Games? Was that your first meet? Yes. 
Uh, so yeah. that was Albany CrossFit's uh, one and only time hosting a weightlifting meet. It ran all day, 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. 80 lifters, yep. 80 plus lifters. Uh, yep. Just took a long time. What? Uh, talk about your experience. Well, that was the the main thing that I remember was I think I was supposed to lift at like two o'clock and I ended up lifting at seven at night. Yeah, and there were some delays. Had, yeah, and we had come early to you know to cheer on the the guys from Albany CrossFit that were lifting. So we were essentially there for about fourteen hours. Yeah, because um, well, I mean, you know, like if if our team's going to a meet. I like everyone to be there for everyone, you know, cause like that's yeah. the team part. Yep. So if you're not lifting till the last session, I would really like it if you're there for the first session to support other people. And then I would like it if you're in the first session, stay till the last one so we can cheer each other on. Yeah. I'm not sure how many people was, were still there at seven, but. <laughs> yeah, we had some drop off. We had, we had 18 people lifted that meet. That was the biggest. We did. We had a ton. Yeah. That was fun. So uh, what um, was it? What was it like? you know, one, being in the warm-up room, you're, you're doing your lifts. Obviously, we had so many people, I couldn't really spend too much time with you. I had, because I had to be going out there in the other room to have, have people do their attempts. But what was it like being in just a sea of people in the warm-up room, doing your warm-ups, getting ready, and then going out on that platform for the first lift? Well, I think, I think because you weren't back there, you were running back and forth. I think I warmed up about 14 times so, before yeah, I lifted. For, for anyone listening, <laughs> uh, sometimes a coach has this great plan of timing out the warmups. You know, you figure out where your lifter is in the, the lifting order and, yeah. okay, we're, we're 15 minutes out. We need to take a lift every X minutes or every X drops. And I was trying to get Kim to do that. And no, Kim goes at Kim's speed. And she's, <laughs> she, but you know what? Kim's got the gold medals to, to, to allow for that. Uh, so like you like to go fast and be done very, very fast. So I do remember yeah. that. Yeah. But I think I warmed up at like two o'clock and then again at four o'clock and then again at six o'clock because I kept thinking we were going to go. Um, but I don't the, the, being in front of people doing something athletic doesn't really bother me. Um, I've got a pretty good ability to, to focus, you know, and, and uh, not pay attention to the things that might wig me out um, just because of skiing, you know, and when you're on a, when you're on a course in skiing, it's you. And well, in my case, it was me and the blind kid I was guiding. Um, yeah, you've so, got that competitor's mindset where you've probably been in more intense situations. So going out in front of 50 people and doing a snatch is, yeah. is no, no big deal. Any advice for athletes listening right now? Like, how do you develop that type of hardened mindset uh, where maybe there are some nerves, but you're able to use those nerves in a productive way? Um, a lot a lot of it is just being able to to find a focal point or a focus point for yourself um, before you even get onto the platform for a lift and being able to kind of funnel your energy through that point um, so that it's not, you know, your eyes aren't wandering around and looking and going, oh crap, there's three judges right there in front of me or, you know, they're 
oh, there's my, my uh, boyfriend in the crowd or blah, 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 you know, that you, you can just pick a focal point and make that where you're looking and where all your, all your intensity and focus for, for what you're about to do comes from. Um, and we work on that a ton in skiing you know, to make sure that when you're coming into the, into the start that your mind is all focused on the run you're about to take instead of what happened on the first run, you know, which is similar to weightlifting um, until you miss both of your first two lifts at world championships. Oh yeah. Um, well, the, at Kim's first world championships, she's in Barcelona, Spain. And I, I couldn't make the trip. So your friend, uh, what, what was her name again? Amy. Amy. Your friend Amy FaceTimed me. So it's 2 a.m. over here for your session over there in Barcelona. And uh, she's FaceTiming me and I'm coaching you through FaceTime. And we're opening up. And remember, my, my friend had, had a flip phone. So she yes. had no idea how to FaceTime or anything. Yeah, she had a flip phone, so I spent a lot of time just looking at her face and then asking her to to turn turn me around, uh, and then take me over to the cardboard uh, the the card table so I can figure out what's going on. And we were opening you up at forty kilos, yeah, and you missed a million times, million times, never an issue. And then you missed the first attempt, and it's like, okay, all right, you know, I made, no, I made it, and they overturned it. Yeah, the, the jury. That's yeah. Right. That's what set the stage. They, they didn't like something about the lockout or who knows. Uh, so it gets overturned. And okay, all right, we can come back for that. We stayed at 40. You went out, did it again. Red lights. Didn't, didn't make it. And now here we are. You're all the way in Barcelona at the World Championships, first World Championships. And we are on a do or die situation to make this last snatch. Uh, one, Kim... Uh, how do you deal with missing lifts internally? You know, cause you always seem so cool and calm and collected. Like when, when we're at like a meet, like I'm, I'm probably freaking out more than you are, but like, you're always just so chilled out. Um, so how do you deal with it internally? And then what was going through your mind on all that going into that last lift? That one, that scared me. Cause I had never been in that situation before, but um in skiing we did we had uh um therapists that traveled with us all the time and we worked a ton on deep breathing exercises and breathing correctly and and uh kind of you know breathing out the stress and getting rid of it and um, well, i like i like that breathing out the stress yeah from really deep inside um but it didn't work that day <laughs> i i remember that was the most nervous I've ever been, I think, for anything that I've ever done. I, I know. I, I'm over here in the States. At, it's like 2.30 at that point, And my heart was pounding. And I was holding my, my mouth shut with my hand as you were going up for the last one. And I think even Amy on the other side of the camera stopped yeah. breathing. And well, didn't but, she ask you, has she ever done this before? What's she doing? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, no, no, this has never happened before. And you went out there, you hit that lift, and then you came back. And it was either after the snatches or after the clean jerks, you told me, you're like, we're never going to talk about this again. <laughs> and, and here we, here we are talking about it. Here we are talking about it. Yep. Well, it, it's, it's good to talk about. It's good to, to work through it. Other people can, can learn 
through it. Uh, what's what's it was, been? It was good to have that experience. Yeah, you know, uh, it, you learn from it for sure. What's what's been your favorite moment so far in all of your weightlifting endeavors? All the meets you've done, all the training. What's been your favorite part of the whole journey? Um. Well, just just the community of the masters weightlifters I really like. Um, there's a there's a women's group of weightlifters that are all the all the women that are kind of in the upper you know age categories. So the, all the 55s and the 60s and 65s and stuff. And um, you know, so just that I really enjoy. I really like that part of it, but. Lifting wise, I think the Pan Am Games, that's the highest total I had ever had when we were in Gatsby, not the drive to Gatsby. That wasn't my favorite part. Yeah, uh, um, 16 hours in a car driving all the way to the top of the world. Yes. In Canada. Um, yeah. And uh, just on the the clean and jerks. I got my first two and I remember walking away from the table and, and, or walking off, you know, putting the weight down, walking off. And you just looked at me like, what, you know, where are you going? And I remember the, the woman at the, at the table. Yeah. Just yeah. And she's like, well, go to 62 or go to 63 or whatever it was. And, and you looked at me and I'm like, sure, let's go, let's do it and got it and that was uh that was cool yeah la last attempt you know why not we we drove all the way out there we accomplished what we need to do on all the other lifts let's let's put it on the board yeah and, and I'll, I'll say too you're reminding me of so many things um so many <laughs> so many mistakes that i've made i learned very quickly that when you're coaching masters athletes and maybe it's more particularly female Masters athletes, when you go to announce the results, uh, you just say, did an awesome <laughs> job and, and lifted X amount of weight in her weight class and age group, but you don't list those things. Because I remember I used to list the exact like numbers and then, and then uh, uh, you sent me a message and you're like, what are you doing? Yeah. Just, uh, okay, but yeah, just little little rookie mistakes if there's any coaches out there listening and you're getting into to it's it's fun to announce the results but just make sure all the information you're putting out there is what everyone would want to put out and i was in the mindset i was in the stubborn mindset of like well this is just what it is like 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 that's the class you're in you know that's the weight class so it's like why wouldn't i put that out with all the numbers because i wanted to put all the numbers out but doesn't really matter just maybe talk to your athlete first about it yep so um, I want to go back to to skiing, uh, the the Paralympic Games. Can you kind of talk about that experience uh, and everything you know uh, involved with it? You and Stacy had two six place uh, finishes in a giant slalom, and uh, so one. Let's tell us who Stacy is, and then tell us about that experience. Uh, I was working for an adaptive sports program. Um, the the largest part of the program was the skiing, ski and snowboard side of it um, for people with physical and cognitive intellectual disabilities. 
and I got hooked up with a nine-year-old kid, um, Stacy Manella, who had been visually impaired, low vision from birth. And um, she, uh, we have a race team, and she was not on the race team yet, but all of her instructors were coming in and just saying, I'm not taking her out anymore. She scares me because she just, she just went like a bat out of hell and um, totally fearless and, uh, you know, was progressing really well. So she went to a ski camp in Colorado and one of the coaches that was there, uh, who I know really well, called me and he's like, you need to do something with that one because she could be, she could be pretty good. So um, I started guiding Stacy, and what that means is in Paralympic sport, um, the visually impaired athlete has a guide on the course with them. So we're both in the start at the same time. When the starter says three, two, one, go, the guide pulls out in front of the athlete, and then the pair goes, goes down the course. Um, together and the guide's job is essentially to be the eyes for the visually impaired racer and we communicate through microphones inside our helmets so the guide is is has the guide has already memorized the course hopefully um, and you're calling the course back to your skier who's essentially three to five feet six feet away from you depending on how much vision they have um, Stacy generally liked to ski pretty up uh, pretty close to me so she was she was right on my tail um, and that's you know you, you ski all the disciplines the courses that you ski on in your that rate you race on in World Cup and in in the Paralympic Games and stuff are the same slopes and hills that the Olympians are are skiing on or the able-bodied um, folks so uh, the only the, the only addition difference is that you know with VIs the accommodation is that there's a guide with them um, so Stacy and I just kind of progressed made the US development team then had the chance to get a wild, a wild card into a World Cup race in New Zealand and we won that one our first one, a slalom. Um, and then that kind of got us enough points to get onto the US um, Paralympic Alpine team. And that was right, that was right in September. So it was the September before the Sochi Paralympic Games. And now just, I mean, like, I, I don't even know. So just, I imagine other people don't either. Uh, I think of, of skiing as one thing. What, what's slalom again? Slalom are the, the gates are the closest together. So you have really short skis and it's really, really quick and agile. You know, it's just boom, 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 boom. And then giant slalom, the gates are a little bit further apart. So there are fewer gates in the course, um, but it's faster. And those, those gates are the things that as you're going down the hill, there's like flags and you have to kind of go around them or poles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, su uh, super G super giant slalom 
there are fewer gates and they're farther apart more. And then downhill is the, the gates are the farthest apart. Um, and, but that's the fastest one. So the fewer, the fewer great gates there are, the faster the, the course is going to be because you're, you know, you're picking up speed. You're not turning as much. Turning uh, kind of scrubs your speed a little bit. So with communicating with or just working with Stacy, uh, you must have to have a uh, very high level of communication skills, uh, I'd imagine, as a, as a coach. Because you're going, I can't imagine going down a hill at top speeds and then having to think one step ahead and then also probably one step back on where Stacy is and then tell her in as few words as possible what what to do or what to expect can you kind of take us through like 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 what's going through your mind and what quick things are you saying as you're trying to navigate a course with Stacy right behind you and she follows close so you probably had yeah. even less time to to say these things yeah you're actually thinking uh three or four gates ahead because a couple gates of ahead, ahead of um what's going to happen you need to tell her tell the the skier that that this is what's coming up um and it's mostly well i guess first first the the biggest part of um the most important thing for a, a team a visually impaired guy team is that the pair has to trust each other so she has to trust that i'm going to make the decisions that will keep her safe number one and then go fat you know make her go the fastest number two um but always safe first um so in skiing you get a course inspection which means you can side slips through the course slowly and you can you can look at the gates and look at in in most courses they're fairly rhythmic but then there might be like a little bend in the trail and they want to the the whoever set the course wants needs to move you over to the left so they'll have what's called a combination or something like that and it'll be like you know you're going down and it's just a left turn right turn left turn right turn left turn now all of a sudden they want you to get over to the other side so it'll be like a really long right turn and those are the things that the guide has to remember where they're coming up and what it is so you need to remember in three gates there's a right-footed delay that's going to take us across the hill but obviously you can't say that to her in the middle of a thing so it's just right delay right delay three two one go 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 to get her to change her rhythm so it's a lot of um a lot of voice inflection and, and stuff like that. You're, you're trying to, I guess, you're trying to give her the course uh, in an auditory kind of way. Yeah. Um, you know, just remembering what's coming up. Like there's a, there's a drop right here that's gonna make her skis go out from underneath her. So I need to remember to tell her there that she's gotta drive her hands and keep her skis on the snow, things like that. Um, and that, that i think that part of it was was my best part because of my ski teaching background and my phys ed background you know i i've that's what i've done all my life is 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 look at movement and look at an activity and say 
okay, what's the most efficient way to do this? And, um, and develop a, and, a plan to do it. Right, right. What? And it takes, I mean, it takes, we got by the, the end of our time skiing together, we barely talked, you know, in the, in the course, we would barely say anything because she would just know from, you know, one sound that would come out of my mouth, she would know what was coming up because we had been together for seven years. And the last two years we were on snow, like 150 days. I mean, some ungodly amount of days, it was ridiculous. And just to, you know, have, just know every sound that was going to come out of my mouth, every sound that was going to come out of her mouth and what it meant. You just get better and better and better at that. Just, just working together. Now, what, what advice do you have for coaches that might be listening on either a developing better communication skills uh, when they're dealing with athletes or maybe just setting up some, some sort of a system with their athlete. And then what advice do you have for athletes on, on listening and, communicating back I feel like it's it's the same street but maybe a little bit different yeah it's well yes exactly um as a as a guide or as a coach I think one of the most important things is that you need to if you're if you're a good coach of physical skills you know what the lift needs to look at, look like, and what is an efficient movement and what is a movement they may be making that might hurt them, you know, or that's, that's okay, they're doing A and therefore B isn't happening, you know, something like that. Um, but if you just go to the person and you say, well, you're doing A, or I'm sorry, you're doing B, well, that's all well and good, but what's going to help me make it better is getting better at a and i think a lot of coaches you know just they maybe aren't as in tune with the movements and what uh, the holistic skill looks like and they'll just say they'll just point out what your flaw is or where you're having trouble and they won't say okay well if if i were that athlete what would i be doing to get better at b well i've got to improve a so what would you say uh, a good example would be, and correct me if I'm wrong, the athlete is getting on their toes during the pull and the snatch. And because of that, they're bumping the bar forward and they're jumping forward. Their balance is all wrong. And so uh, the incorrect thing to do would be to go to that athlete and say, you're jumping forward. As, yeah. opposed, to, as opposed to saying, you know, like, hey, we need to get the balance back. We need to shift our weight back towards the heels a little more the midfoot and to get better balance and then work on that maybe a slower slower pull with lighter weights working on the technique to yeah. correct that imbalance instead of just pointing out the obvious yeah hey the bar's too far your bar path is too far away from your body yeah and, and you have to be intuitive with the movement to know that the reason that they went and jumped forward and their bar path is off is because of what happened earlier right right it's almost like you need to you need to stop at the you know what you, you need to stop a video at what you're seeing that you want to correct and then you need to rewind a little bit and go okay there's where it's actually happening yeah and stop there and as an athlete i think it's re it's really important to 
um, understand yourself and how you learn best. Um, and then communicate that to the coach because the coach might not know that you hate having someone on top of you, you know, in your ear constantly. Um, you know, what would you say? I, I kind of feel like that's how, how you are a little bit. It is totally how I am. That's, yeah. Like uh, in barbell club, I'll go around other people. I'm like, all right, Hey, let's do this. I might use some tactile cues. And then with, with Kim, I come over quietly. I stand there, <laughs> got my arms folded behind my back, no sudden movements. And I just ask you, how, how are we doing over here? Are we, are we doing all right? And then depending on, on the look you give me, I'll be like, all right, I'll be back later. <laughs> or you'll get a question. Yeah. When, yeah. That's, I, I remember one time kind of early in my CrossFit career, there was, there was a wad we were doing and the, the, there was an intern in the class, you know, or an assistant coach or something. And I was, I think I was just, I was just toast. Cause I, it was when, before I realized how old I was and that maybe doing, you know, five days a week straight without a rest wasn't a good thing. And I was about on my fifth day cause it was a weekend and whatever we were doing, I just was, it was kicking my butt. And this, this coach kept coming over to me and coming over and coming over and coming over. And finally I was doing ring rows and I just threw the rings and I turned around <laughs> and I said, you have got to leave me alone right now. <laughs> I'm going to get through this and then I'm going to go and I'm going to take a couple days rest and we're going to start again, but you got to get out of my face right now. You're about to strangle them with those rings. I was, I was totally about to. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that it wasn't me. If it, if it was on the weekend back no, then, I was probably you. driving to Binghamton. So no, yeah. it, it was not you. And it was, and I went, I actually, I went back to that person and I said, look, you know, look, I'm sorry that I reacted like that, but this is how I learn. And this is how you can best coach me and help me to get better. And that wasn't the way. And I'm sorry I responded like that, but. And that that's a great conversation to have with, each of your athletes, like, Hey, as opposed to kind of just rushing into it and teaching and coaching everyone with the same approach, it's going to be a little different for everybody. Yeah. So it's a great, great lesson to, to learn and talk about. Now, Kim, I only have a couple minutes left because then I got to go coach uh, online here, but uh, one last thing that I want you to talk about, and we should have you back on the show again, because it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. I love talking to Kim. Like we, we drove, we drove for 16 hours to Gatsby in Canada. And I think we were talking the entire time, like, like, who, like 16 hours of conversation. We should have filmed, filmed that somehow. But I, I want you to talk about your experience at the Paralympics and being in the tunnel uh, before you're going out where they're carrying the flag uh, and everything. Um, I, I've heard you tell that story before. And it's such a unique experience that, you don't really hear many people talk about and certainly even fewer people have experienced. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's from, you know, if you, if you are an Olympics watcher, um, the opening ceremonies are always, you know, such a spectacle and you see, you see everything that's going on. Um, on the stage and you, you don't see what the athletes are doing. 
and in Sochi, um, we were down underneath the, the, the stadium, you know, in, in the kind of the bowels of the of fish stadium, um, getting really, really, really hot um, because it was winter games and they had given us winter clothing and then stuck us in this place. And we're down there for like three hours waiting. Um, but then when they start doing the parade of nations, you know, you start moving and you start getting a little closer and a little closer and a little closer to the door. And as you, you start to do that, it just, um, you know, the, the feeling inside and the excitement is, it just starts, it starts in the pit of your stomach and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and, um, you know, United States, we're always one of the last ones to go, which stinks, but we finally get sort of close to the door. And up till then we had just been this big mass of humanity. And then we pull up to the door and all of a sudden they've got these lines, you know, duct taped to the floor and they want us to line up in groups of 10 with our toes on the line. And everyone's like getting all, you know, excited because, you know, Uzbekistan just went and we know that we're next. And, you know, you just start and they put the, they put the flag bearer on his X for when, where he's going to go from. And, and we were in the front, which was cool because they put all the visually impaired athletes in the front. Um, I don't know why, because they can't see anything, so it doesn't really matter. But um, so then they, you know, the announcer says the United States of America and you come around that corner and it's just like, it's like nothing that you could ever experience in your life ever. And the coolest thing was that we were in Russia and the stadium was packed. It was sold out. It was like 65,000 people. And when we came around the corner, the entire place like went nuts. And you're kind of looking around going, you know, all these people are cheering for, for the United States. You know, just, it didn't happen for any of the other countries, but they're here, you know, it's like, I don't know, just having the U.S. on your back and, and following the flag out and having the whole place just go, go crazy when there were probably a thousand of our family members were there. You know, it was all, it was all Russians and people from other countries and, and stuff like that. And it was just, uh, it's just a moment that you can't even, you can't tell anybody how amazing it was and have them truly feel what it was like. You just have to be there and experience it. I imagine the energy coming at you. Oh, just insane. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, I think I would have problems sleeping that night. I would just be like, oh my God, like we got to do something right now. Like this is so, you just probably get so, so amped up. Would you say that's. You get amped up and then you have to, you have to train the next morning at <laughs> yeah. like seven o'clock. <laughs> would you say that that was one may, maybe it is or one of the most meaningful moments of your your career ever yeah ever, well, that, that's the top one the most no the well it's between that and when we won our first world cup in new zealand for some reason anything below a world cup they usually don't play the national anthems 
And so it had just totally escaped my mind that when we had the podium ceremony to get our medals, that they were going to play the national anthem for us. And when the, the, and we were the first ones. So I hadn't seen it for anyone else yet. And, um, when they said, you know, please remove your hats for the playing of the national anthem of the United States of America, whew, that was, and the, that was, the, the yeah, tears, the tears oh, probably came and full time. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't imagine. I know like the only thing I can equate to that is when we, when we were like at, when we were at Gatsby and, and they gave the, for the medal ceremony, they played the U S anthem. And I'm like, wow, like, it's a powerful experience when you see the flag and you know, like for me, you see your athlete on top of the podium there and they're playing yeah. that song. And it's just, I can't imagine what you felt having thousands of people around, you know, wow. and they're playing that song and just everything. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. Well, Kim, thank you for coming on the barbell strikes back first <laughs> ever episode. We did it. Look, we, we did, did it. it. I know. I can't, can't believe it. We're, we're, and we're, we're just at the tip of the iceberg here. There's so many questions I have written down. There's so many stories we have to go through. So I'm definitely going to have to get you back on here. Uh, people are going to be messaging me and emailing me like, but we need more Kim. We, like, we need more, more, more Kim. It's just a thing. It's going to happen now. So, uh, so Kim, is there, are, are you on social media? Like, is there anywhere people should follow you or look into things? Uh, just on Facebook. Just, just on Facebook? Kim Seavers yep. on on Facebook, not on Instagram. We gotta we gotta up your social media game here, Kim. I'm on Instagram, but I don't know how to use it. And all I right. actually I actually made my first tweet a couple hey, weeks right. ago. I, I need, I'm gonna tweet. coach you up on how to use Instagram. But okay. thank you so much for coming on the show, being my first guest. This was awesome. Uh, for yeah. everyone listening, make sure you head on over to Instagram and follow the Barbell Strikes Back. Follow me, James A. McDermott. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you again, Kim. Until next time. Thank you.